Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. If you listen on the Entail app, that's E-N-T-A-L-E, photos, links and videos of what we're talking about will pop up as you listen. Have a look. Hi, I'm Emily uh, and I'm absolutely fine, but I just hate my bra. It's so painful and I'm sitting here thinking, oh God, I... I, I really want to be brilliant in this podcast and I really want to impress and all I can think of is my bra is sort of digging into my ribs and... Um... No, 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 no. I mean, as you can <laughs> I hear from the tone of my voice, no. As you can hear from the tone of my voice, I'm poised to take it in view today, but that is not a bra. <laughs> you do not know you're born. That is a piece of floss. And I will not have it. You should see the articulated contraption that I'm having to wear. I lit, Just before this, we started recording, I showed Anna and I was like, it really is a very painful contraption. And I actually took my clothes off and she just looked at it and gave me a very uh, withering look. So, and um, said, that's not a bra. Yes. So I apologise if I am constricted and maybe I'll just burn it halfway through, which would be appropriate given the content of this podcast today. Anyway, how are you, Anne-Pearl? <laughs> yes. Oh, Em, um, I'm absolutely fine. But I am physically disgusting, M- more physically <laughs> disgusting than normal. It's like now that we are this deep into slash of slightly limping out of lockdown, all the disgusting us has sort of joined the dots. So I've got feet like an old goat herd sort of you know slightly yellow toenails I've got I don't want to talk about what lies beneath because it just it it'll put everybody off their coffee <laughs> my cuticles nibbling 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 drawing blood like sort of a sort of neurotic teenager my roots haven't been done since before I was born I haven't had any Botox since September so this is the face that I deserve and I do not <laughs> do not like looking at it um and it's all gone to shit combined with the fact that I've been up since 4 11 so if I'm slightly charmless today Please forgive me. However, I am perked up by the fact that this week we are a little awestruck because we have a real live female film director here. Koki Gedroich is known as the queen of costume drama. She's made Wuthering Heights, Oliver Twist, The Virgin Queen, all with Tom Hardy. More of which later. (laughs) Much more of which later. Also, Harlots and The Hour, to name but a few. However, she's moved into the 1990s now with her latest film, How to Build a Girl, an adaptation of Catelyn Moran's book of the same name, and is currently finalising plans on Greatest Days, a film about... Take that. Corsets, heartthrobs, and dealing with so many men in a male-dominated industry. Gripping. We are completely thrilled to have her here. Koki, how are you? I'm absolutely fine, but I've discovered actually that my world has shrunk to the size of my little shed. (laughs) I've been in it for the whole of lockdown, basically, and it is five foot ten by six foot four. And you're just in it. It's a cell. (laughs) I'm in it. it. I'm in my cell. And I've got really fond of it. I started off really kind of resisting it. And then I just, I've I've succumbed. I'm just a shed person. I think that we shrink to fit. Yeah. Don't we, in funny ways? I definitely feel reduced, sadly not physically, but spiritually and, and, and also in terms of, of what I can cope with. Don't you find that when you have to do less, you just do less? You do less and it stretches longer, doesn't it? It's sort of amazing how long brushing my teeth can take or daydreaming. I've started to daydream. I, haven't, I can't remember when I last did that. So I'll sit down. Where are your daydreams taking you? Oh, really banal places. <laughs> I sit to try and read a book 
or read a script. <laughs> Reading scripts is terrible. Oh, Reading is incredibly difficult, I found in yeah. lockdown. I thought that maybe it would give me the space to do it. I mean, ha, ha, ha. But actually, it took me... That it's taken me the whole, it's taken me three and a half months to read the Hilary Mantel, um, the final part, The Mirror and the Light. And I just kept having to read the same page over and over again because my attention span was so small. It's anyway. weird. Is that your book for lockdown then? Because that must have well, it was been the, the only one. Yeah. <laughs> You're one. Well done. Yeah. I also read, I've just finished um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge. And I thought that was incredible and powerful and obviously in the context of everything that's happened, extremely interesting and very much needed. But otherwise, yes, I feel like I agree with you about everything going very small. But do you feel like your your shed is your Virginia Woolf, your room of your own? Or do you think that it's sort of, um, it's a cell, as Annabelle said? It started off as a kind of, (laughs) started off as a kind of um, refuge, in a way. I sort of hid in here. Tom and I, my husband and I, had a seismic row in this shed, actually. The kids were in the house and we had a massive row in here because it was the only place where we could literally scream and yell. And it is absolutely tiny. It's the size of a queen-size bed. And he left the shed and I lay on the floor with my dog and I stayed here all day like a sulky teenager. I could hear the kids going, where's mum? Where is she? I can't see her. I was on the floor. I didn't eat or drink all day. Literally. I'm not kidding. And then I walk, Then I, when I just cracked, I had to walk through the house, past them, and go up to my room and sulk up there. It was just so embarrassing. But then it's almost... For a minute there, I thought you were going to say, I lay on the floor with my doll. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fantastically weird and locked down. Oh, I wish I had a dog in here. Stop. Let's get some. <laughs> like Barbara Streisand. Oh, dear. I had to creep through the house. And, and, and after that moment, I just, it's sort of like, I had a revelation about my shed. I thought, this is my friend now. And I've been in here pretty much every day for about six to eight hours. The dog's down on the floor right now. Um, and it's where everything happens. <laughs> I get FOMO because I can see the family doing things and I can hear them and that's weird. I know, but that's always a double-edged sword, isn't yeah. it? You think, oh, yeah. I wish I was there. I'm so glad I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Every now and then if there's some music playing and I can hear that the wine's flowing, that, that gets annoying. I'm working, basically. I've worked through lockdown. Well, yes, because How to Build a Girl was meant to have a big, are we right in thinking, a big Glastonbury yeah. launch? Yeah. Last Friday, I was supposed to be at Glastonbury I was supposed to be there with Beanie, Catelyn, Alfie was being flown in. It was going to be the whole whiz-bang-wallop. And honestly, it's like the first cool thing I've done ever was going to be last Friday. (laughs) And it didn't happen. And where was I? In my shed. If we rewind a bit, is a queen of costume drama born or is she created? How did you end up, you know, sort of, you know, swimming in corsets? How did that happen? So I, st- I started off thinking I'd go to art school and then I lost my nerve. I just thought I can't sit in a garret on my own and do it. It's just not going to be me. So I studied at uni and then just started making films and I started making pop promos for my friends' bands and I just kind of learned how to do it. And... It was always, for me, always just catch a wave. Whatever comes my way, whatever opportunities are there, I'm just going to grab them. So I honestly did a show about sports women. I did 
Um, I did some warehouse parties for Channel 4 when Channel 4 started out. I, you know, I shot them on Super 8. I just grabbed anything, honestly, because as a young female in the 80s, I wasn't going to get many big breaks. And so it was a slow burn. I did documentaries, arts programmes, and then I got my first drama, some short films I did, gradually kind of piecing it together, piecing it together. And I've just always worked on the basis that you know, get really good at what you do and one day someone will notice. And sorry, that sounds really, really like I'm bragging actually, but in fact, it's been hard to get good at what I do. <laughs> it's been long and slow. And eventually they cracked and they gave me, they gave me some, some big old dramas to do. They cracked. Do you think that it, was, um, that it was much harder and more difficult for women in the 80s and 90s to break through if they wanted to? Because I mean, female directors were hardly seen until really very recently as far as I can tell in the 80s there were about four or five of us bobbing around the place trying to do do stuff um it was really tough and then there was this amazing tiny window of opportunity in late 80s where suddenly people woke up and kind of thought oh my god we need to give them a break we need to give some opportunities the women yeah the women are there (laughs) and I snuck in under the wire I was one of very few you know who kind of did the window open and then close again yeah oh it did how did that happen um it's strange looking back I mean I think it might I'm really scared it's going to happen again now I'm really really fearful that you know the kind of pendulum will swing again and Certainly women are falling through the gaps in lockdown. I mean, this is a disaster. Yeah, it? yeah. It's, it's, it's scary. It's scary that the kind of, that the, you know, the story starts to be told, people start talking about it. It gets exciting, you know, the Greta Gerwig's come out and Celine Sharma and some amazing new female directors. And then I really worry that actually the blokes are going to get threatened again and and the opportunities are just you know it's almost like you tick the boxes give you know have a little flurry of activity and then close it down again it's a very sexist industry i always think that i always think that's sort of what's happened with with abortion in america i sort of almost think it's a it's a narrative which is a, a, a you know a white old male narrative where they're sort of going they're holding a bible but they're sort of saying yeah. you've had your fun now what do we need to do how do we really shut this down okay so we get them back in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant and then yeah. they're fucked yeah it's um it's it's a horrible kind of sort of cycle, but I can't really, it's weird. If I really, really believed that, I wouldn't be able to give my daughter hope and I wouldn't be able to do my job. It's, yes. very, it's a very strange thing that I do. I have, to, I have to kind of block my ears and go, la, 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 it's all going to be fine, actually. It is all going to be fine, even though deep down I'm worried that it won't. Yeah, because it isn't hopeless. It's just potentially difficult. Yeah. Was there, was there a sort of... So, so do, are, we, are we living now in a sort of golden era as far as female directors and creatives are concerned? Is this as good as it's been, do you think? This is great. This is, yeah. this is a really great time. Um, we don't get nominated for Oscars, though. I, you know, last, last Oscars, there wasn't a single nomination. Um, and there were some so, contenders as well. That's the thing. It's not yeah. like it's not it, it's not like they're not there. It's just for some reason they're just sort of what you know sidelined. Yeah, the re- the reason is that it's a sexist industry. Mm. It's a really, really you know, it's gender bias is is kind of endemic in the film industry, and it's just the way it is, and the way it, the way it's always 
been in my experience although as I say you know you kind of batter at the batter at the door and it gets opened a little crack and some of us sneak through and do you batter at the door just by doing the best you can do or are you um, do you feel that you simultaneously can be quite vocal about it and point out the problems um I'm for me this is just my story I've always kind of kept my head down and just worked really hard and I really try in my kind of own circle to improve things. I'm not, I'm not afraid of speaking out. I was on the board of directors of um, Directors UK for four years. I was part of the women's working group. We did a lot of brilliant stuff then. But I guess I would just describe myself as a person who, who sort of tries to change things with, with the stuff that I do. I, I employ lots of women. I work with tons of women. I mentor women mental women of colour particularly young female directors who can't get a they just can't catch a wave and that's sort of how I'm approaching it really I, I do workshops in schools I go to schools and I kind of bully and badger these young girls and tell them they've got to get their ass together and come and do it because it's possible and they all look at me completely kind of nonplussed. Do you think that one of the reasons that you did period drama is because people thought it was fitting for a woman <laughs> to direct Crimson? Yeah, yeah. There's a, oh yes, oh I yes. Do. There's, there's a lot of that going on. Um, Harlots, we turned the, we turned the tables with Harlots because that was, you know, that was the first, that was the first big period drama that had 22 female leads in it for a start. And it was so unladylike. <laughs> we were talking about, we were telling the stories of prostitutes in Georgian London and it was all from the point of view of these women. So, yes, it was corsets and it was, you know, in a sense it was, it was kind of loving the, the titillations in a way and owning them, you know, and that was the, that was the thing with Harlots. But, but certainly Virgin Queen, you know, Wuthering Heights, I did what I could. I, I sort of pushed the boundaries wherever I could. I cast Sophie Okonedo as Nancy um, when really no one was doing that kind of thing. You know, it was it was the sort of real effort to kind of open up the genre and not, not let it be heritage and, and sort of dull. And, and, and with those three films, were you aware that you were creating this this massive throbbing heart throb <laughs> pinup because everyone we know is in a slightly in a slightly sort of comic way obsessed with Tom Hardy yeah man you must was... have got on well with him because you worked with him three times he's something else he came in for the first audition and he just sort of sulked in a corner <laughs> barely made eye contact and of course, I just thought that's really intriguing. <laughs> of course, <laughs> and it because, turns out he was a you're kind only of human. <laughs> yes, I'm only human, and he—it turns out he's a sort of latter-day Marlon Brando. You know, he's just extraordinary. He learnt to drive on Wuthering Heights, I remember, and so he just get in his um, product placement Alfa Romeo, and just like burn off. I can't remember how old he was then in his twenties. <laughs> burn off, and the only person that could get him back was Muggins. <laughs> Literally, no one else could persuade him to come back on set. So I'd ring him up and I'd go, Tom, please, can you come back now? Oh Lunch is over, we're on set. It's like a toddler. But and you, yeah. you imagine, of course, you know, as you were saying about sort of keeping your head down and working really hard, you know, as a, as a woman, you couldn't behave like that, could you? You'd have to, you have to lay down, the, you have to do the work, you have to show 
that you are 300 times working 300 times harder and more efficiently and more economically and everything and that there's no room for maneuver or a or a maneuver with an Alfa Romeo no no way I mean it's the Orson Welles thing it's like um you know if you're if you're a man you can be kind of moody eccentric and you're a genius and if you're the equivalent and you're a woman you're a dragon yeah yeah or you're hysterical yeah neurotic you know it's just yeah yeah so apart from the screaming in the shed with the dog slash doll do you feel (laughs) do you maintain calm is that your modus operandi when you are when you're the boss on a set are you are you calm or are you a screamer I'm super calm. Yeah, I'm super calm. I just mm-hmm. think uh, I've been doing it so long. Um, 30 years I've been doing this job and um, nobody wants to be yelled at. It's just the bottom line. No one does their best work if they've got somebody screaming at them. And we, you know, the biggest crew that I've worked with was 150 people. And that was in America and they were 90% male. And, you know, I just... I have to sort of park all my anxieties and vulnerabilities and even thoughts about myself as having a gender at all. I have to park all that and I have to step on set and pull them with me, you know, kind of own it and pull them with me. And I'm going to get nowhere if I do that sort of screeching, showing that I'm vulnerable, apologising so my trick has, in a way, my, you know, my, the thing that I've developed has been just to sort of slow everything down and calm everything down. And it's weird how it works. It works with kids. You know, you don't yell at kids. Once you've, so once you've sort of slipped through the window and, and sort yeah. of somehow duped the men into giving you the job, yeah. once, you, once you've got the job and it's been signed on the dotted line, are there other iterations of sexism or resistance that you might encounter at every step, whether it's an all-male, you know, lighting crew or, a, or, or producers? Or is it, it's, it's not, you're, you're not done when you've just got the gig, are you? It's a weird one, this, you know, because I've been bl- really bloody lucky and I've navigated it in a certain way that actually, personally, I haven't been battered by it on every front. And I can't work out whether that was just pure luck or whether I have this weird schizoid kind of alter ego that just airbrushes out the noise. I, I can't, it's really strange. I spend so long and so much of my time actually doing the job, coping, surviving, pulling it in, that somehow I've managed to sort of weave through. But I, I, I'm, I can say to you that, you know, there have been moments, honestly, there, were, there have been moments. There was one time when a grip in America, tattooed guy, ponytail, pickup truck, gun in his car, that kind of guy working on the film set, walked past me and just quietly under his breath, I heard him say, just give that girl a bullwhip. And what he was meaning was, I don't like that she's in charge. I don't, he just said it really quietly. It was very menacing. And so I, this is just a classic way that I deal with this kind of thing. I thought about it that night and I thought, actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to make friends with him. I'm just going to quietly get to know him, find out about his family. I'm going to go in there rather than be afraid, rather than be defensive, rather than complain. I'm just going to go in there and see if I can turn this round. And I kind of did. A, a really big thing I found, actually, is just don't take yourself too seriously. 
this has been really good for me. You know, don't don't walk in as the victim because yeah. people people smell it. I think generally also, if you walk into a room looking for the umbrage to take, then, yeah. then, then you will find it. And also, as women, you know, I think sometimes we've all had to be incredibly practical in professional situations and just decide not to notice. Like if yeah. I'm progressing with the job, I yeah. decide right now not to notice the other yeah. stuff because I'm safe yeah. and I'm working and I can do this. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so true. And, and safe working and also so lucky to be working. Yeah. And this I, is the thing, you know, I feel incredibly grateful that I'm doing what I'm doing and I've been able to do it this long. I love it. Yeah, I think as well, exactly not apologising for being there. I mean, I'm, so, I'm a terrible apologiser and I say sorry for everything, but actually sometimes, you know, maybe you have to fake it to make it or whatever, but just to remember that you've earned your place at the table and that that's okay and that you can move on like that you know rather than yeah rather than going hi sorry it's me girl boobs you know kind of thing or yeah. whatever and um but it, it's it's funny because when I think about um Catelyn's book how to build a girl and obviously I'm an, we're both avid readers of her column I feel like I've read every word she's practically ever written and I what I when I say how to build a girl what I think is how to build a feminist because that's mm. of course who I who who I see her as now and 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 was that at play when you were filming that project it was it was and we I mean I worked on the script with her for a year and a half I spent a lot of time with her in the basement of um of the production company so I got to know her really well and there was a certain amount of sort of political chat and you know feminist chat um but what I realized actually going through making the film working with her what I realized is actually that particular story is incredibly heartfelt and she genuinely believes, she genuinely believes that, that the story is about kind of, you know, making your own happy ending. And actually, we used to, you know, I'm sorry if this isn't answering your question properly, Annabelle, but, but it's kind of what happened in the room with us. You know, we got to the point where I would sort of say to her, Catelyn, you write hilarious and heartbreaking and she'd say fuck the heartbreaking I just want it to be hilarious and actually the two of us was a great combination because because I could see that that book you're right it's it's absolutely it's a feminist manifesto undoubtedly but but tucked in there is a really really sweet and true story about what a young girl feels like when they are unconfident and battered back and you know through all the jokes and the mischief underneath there is this yeah this tale of total redemption you know you don't have to be as shit as your postcode yeah you can be something bigger and better I also like the idea what you said about finding our own happy ending because as women obviously you know through millennia we're taught that we they are there to be rescued and um and the idea that you can rescue yourself and that you can find yourself that's so, so good, good right? I mean, that... So good. You know, Annabelle and I are always joking about how, you know, the, the idea that, that you're there in the tower and, uh, and, and just waiting, waiting, and you can wait forever. And I think women do that exactly as you were saying about, um, you know, breaking into things. You know, a lot of women sit there waiting, waiting for someone to notice them. And there is, yeah. there's got to be that tiny, 
shift where we're where we're knocking at the door but not so that we feel uncomfortable and that we're sort of battering it down but at the same time that we're that we're that we are creators of our own destiny and that we don't need to be chosen or as Annabelle says the sort of plucked flower of a millennia yeah what I was thinking was spoken as a sort of um you know sort of overtired single mother was if it's possible to be making your own way and creating your own destiny and also hoping to be rescued (laughs) whether I'm allowed to even admit that Oh man, I, I, I am schizoid though because I, I power in and I do the work and I don't need to be rescued while I'm doing it because I'm just like this other alter ego person. And then I, you know, then I step through the door and blimey, you know, it's a very different story. I know we all find ourselves sort of taking off a pair of metaphorical shoulder pads yeah. and just sort of going all softy when we walk through the door. Yeah, yeah. I always think of Beyonce's alter ego as Sasha Fierce. I think if she also needs to put on a kind of a sort of persona as well, then everything's okay. Yes, yeah. I know, but I got very confused because then she became Mrs. Carter. <laughs> so I now I no longer know what to think. But uh, but of course, but of course, the the, the 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 soundtrack, the soundtrack to all of us lot in our mid forties growing up as women in our in our you know late teens and early 20s and trying to work out who we wanted to be was take that oh and i just think so is this film a kind of mamma mia or is it a kind of rocket man or the great or greatest days that you know what is it and how did it come to you well, firstly, I have to say, Annabelle, I'm a bit older than you guys. <laughs> I am actually a whole generation older than you guys. So I'm slightly, it's a bit naughty that I'm on the middle, really, isn't it? But, um, but basically, um, Take That wasn't my soundtrack. It wasn't. I was, I was Susie and the Banshees and The Cure. And you were a I goth, weren't you? Like, yeah, I was a sort of grungy 80s goth. So take that for me was when I was having babies and I was in the fog of having babies um, and they were like a little tinkling soundtrack kind of quite far away. So playing in the coffee shop while you were quietly (laughs) having a nervous breakdown over a cappuccino. Yeah, we were doing our A-levels when they split up and I remember the helpline and people talking about it. There was an actual helpline for girls who were traumatised by the fact that take that had split up. I mean, it was that, that, uh, that deep. Anyway. Yeah, and this film, that was a really good segue because this film is literally for them and it's about them. It's not a biopic, so it's not Rocketman. Um, it's a sort of jukebox film set to their music and it's about five girls who just are obsessed with a band. And it's really, really incredibly heartwarming and life-affirming and just such a joy, actually. It's been... It's been kept me alive in lockdown I can tell you that and did you work with the band on it um Tim Firth wrote it um he's um he wrote Kinky Boots and Calendar Girls and stuff and he wrote a musical called The Band and that is the script that I kind of received and inherited and I've been working with him for a year and turning it into a movie um and the band very excitingly were on Zoom with me last week (gasps) I'm so jealous Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In my shed, you see. We come oh round to the shed. Oh, my God. In this little shed. And my daughter, who's 18, was literally at the window with her face plastered against the <laughs> glass, going, let me in. <laughs> God, I'm glad. I'm, I, I was just going exactly over two same. fingers. <laughs> 
she wasn't allowed in and i had i had howard gary and mark on my zoom it was amazing oh my anyway God. i hope you took a screenshot i couldn't because they would have heard it i wish i had so badly and howard did this gag um where in his little square on zoom his it was just the top of his head bobbing along <laughs> it's really really comical and strange but for about two minutes it was just literally the top of his head and he was obviously just bored do you and... think he was having a nervous breakdown <laughs> it was actually really funny they're very nice and they're very involved howard how has your lockdown been <laughs> howard are you there howard? Literally... he was just bored he was on his knees and he was just like bobbing along and so anyway, they, so they came to me with a script and I didn't know if it was something I could do, really. I just didn't know if it was me. So I went to a couple of their gigs. I went to Milton Keynes and Cardiff and honestly, it just blew the top of my head off. I took my daughter, so now she's the obsessive fan. It just, I couldn't believe what they were doing with this crowd. They know, they know about a hundred rows of their fan fans, you know, the first hundred rows that they can see from the stage, they know intimately because <laughs> they've been going to their gigs for 25 years. It's yeah. just extraordinary. They are so cool and they're so good and kind and down to earth and kind of boy next door. And so in the film, are their songs songs sung by the band or is it musical style? I feel a song coming on and off they go. It's not their voices. There's a bit of I Feel a Song Coming On. So there's a bit of thing, you know, songs that the girls will sing and the characters sing in the film. But we're casting a band. We have cast a band, actually, who represent Take That. They're not okay. Take That. They don't look like them. They're not, they're not pretending to be looky-likes. They are just a brilliant set of dancers. They're five guys who can dance incredibly well. And we, we spent, uh, we literally cast them the Friday before lockdown. And I had met 400 gorgeous young male dancers. It's I mean, such a joyful film, this, honestly. Can I just ask, is Tom Hardy in it? Because if so, that would basically be, the, the film would be the Ven of most grown-up women's sexual fantasies. <laughs> it's oh, very true. I might call him. I might just say, you've got to be in it somehow. Maybe he, he'd do a cameo. Yeah. He should definitely do a, a cameo. cameo. with some dodgy manager or something. Yeah. 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 I mean, that would be it. I mean, I, I can't be. think of a mid-adult who wouldn't or, you know, who wouldn't come and see it. And frankly, I could retire then because that would just be my circle closed. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like all the, it's almost like the only thing you haven't done is a thriller. Oh, I'd love to do one of those. Yeah. Well, yes, I, next time. I would love... Let's put it out there. I would love to. I am getting old and I'm getting tired. So I don't know how many more of these I've got in me. I, but I do. I have been saying that for quite a while. <laughs> um, do you say that at the beginning or the end or in the middle of where are you in the in the project at the beginning? beginning like I'm too yeah. tired for this shit, and then yes. and then you're fine. Get me out. Get me out. <laughs> yes, it's I'm too tired for this shit. I'm too old for this shit. I'm too hormonal for this shit. Yeah. I'm too undercaffeinated for this shit. Um, which is the t- most tiring bit? Is it the sort of twenty four hour days when you're shooting, or is it being stuck in the edit? Or at the moment, I'm on Zoom between six and eight hours a day and that's in prep and I don't know what you think but I find it absolutely exhausting yeah it's sort of that thing of you know looking directly at someone for that long and talking intensely that so yeah I'm just tired 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 all the time 
And also the thing about the thing about Zoom is there's something about the illusion of connection. You know, you're sort of reaching for it, panting for it through the screen. Yeah. And so yeah. but the moment you press yeah. leave meeting, you just sort of it's as though your spine goes and you collapse. It's a very draining yeah. thing, I think, or this. It is time. really, really draining. Also, do you sleep? Um, I'm uh, yeah, no, I'm not a great sleeper. I'm I'm with you, Annabelle, on that one. I'm not a great sleeper. I haven't been since. Are you an early riser, or do you find it hard to go to sleep, or both? Um, mostly middle of the night riser. Yeah, that's my thing. I mean, I really, really feel your pain with your four o'clocker this morning. It's it's a weird one. It's I, a funny I, thing, isn't it? When every night you go to sleep and you just don't know what the night will hold. That's a thriller. Gosh, I know. The dreams are crazy when I do sleep. The dreams are insane, very, very stressful. And then ping, I'm awake, four o'clock. Woohoo. But I um I'm doing that classic middle thing of trying yoga and it's kind of work it's helping me, actually. I think of all the things over the twenty years of insomnia I've tried that, that aren't full on drugs yoga's come the closest to doesn't solve it doesn't solve it for me but it it it's weirdly a, a sort of mental thing of of kind of making friends with it that sounds like such a hippie thing to say but kind of owning it and just accepting it and this is part of the pattern of things and I can survive it you know I, I will get up at four and I will go to work and it will be okay kind of thing yeah. otherwise it is it is literally a demon in the night otherwise yeah yeah i mean you're yes you're kind of you're wrestling it's like mortal combat isn't it and um the only person that's going to get battered is you but the drugs are good too <laughs> i take <laughs> I, I know the drugs the drugs can be quite fun i take them when i'm desperate so i sort of try and you know i try and manage it i know me too white knuckle it for as long as i can yeah. and then get get my hands on some good stuff yes <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, by hook or by crook, incidentally. Totally, totally. It's like those um, those terrible plants that you we, that were in horror story. You know, the more you struggle, the tighter the grip. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. With the insomnia yeah. and yeah, 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 yeah. It's and and, and it's they just they just one. relax and they'll let it'll let go and you just think, but why? why <laughs> what if it doesn't? And you know, funnily enough, while I'm talking to you, I now realise because this has been going on for years. This this sleep thing that when women say, "How are you?" I'm quite like to say fuck I've been up since four mm-hmm. but I never do that with men because mm. they'll just think you know deranged female so I just I just keep my own counsel counsel and I don't do that will they do they often say so how it's... are you <laughs> oh yes that's true it is possible to go through hours or even days listening to a life story without ever having someone say how are you or what's your name Certainly. you are quite right can I ask you so when you go in to the schools to talk to the girls and yeah. when you mentor mm. the young female directors what are your what do you what do you really want them to know i guess i really want them to know that there is a possible way of doing it you know that there are a few of us a good few of us now who actually are managing it we've we've kind of survived it we've lots of us have had kids you know we we can have a normal life ish and um we can get out there and we can make good stuff and we're being noticed um it's literally that it's literally you know try trying to be a bit of a role model I guess just Mm. here I am I have managed to do it and you can too and it's amazing how unconfident 
young young women can be, young girls at school. I mean, it's it. You know, I know that to be true, but I hate to accept it. But it takes, you know, it it takes quite a lot of of persuading from me, you know, to get them to call me or to get them to get engaged with drama classes or to get them to direct a little play or make a little film on their phone. It's amazing how much persuasion it takes. It's awful. And yet the boys, the equivalent amongst the boys, they'll be bouncing forward and, you know, owning it already. It's amazing as well. The, the Yes, exactly like you said, that you have to show people that you're that out there doing it, you know, that you that because you can't be what you can't see. So you've got to say, yeah, I'm there and it's OK. And here we are. And this is what we do. And you're literally sort of blazing a trail um, for everyone else, which is great. I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I had a, I had women blazing trails before me. I'm not certainly not the first, but but um, I actually feel like it's a new vocation really for me. And joking aside, if I do kind of quieten down on the filmmaking front, I will mentor more and do more of it because I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm really strict, really fierce. I make them I make my mentorees work really hard and. And then I always give them a chance to actually direct when they come and work with me. They, they, they get a chance to direct scenes and edit them and see them through post and everything. So I really... So then you're equipping them with a CV, effectively. Yes, exactly. I, what, yeah. what pisses me off is when, you know, productions just do the box ticking and have them sh- these wretched young women shadowing. And I keep saying shadowing's pointless. They have to be able to do it themselves and you've yeah, got to trust they them. they leave with nothing. Yeah, You've got to trust them. It's so, honestly, it still exists, that this idea that a young 20-year-old director who's male is exciting and sexy and a young 20-year-old director who's female is a risk. It exists. Pisses me off. It exists. It's, it's incredibly annoying. But we have to just plough forward and just act as if we can change it. That's the thing. Yeah. Otherwise you know yeah and and you know and in in pretending to think that we can we do yeah 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 you are an inspiration yeah. i can't believe that we've been able to have Aww. you on here and i and and and, and also i'm de- i'm almost fizzing foaming at the mouth with excitement about um how to build a girl which if i'm right in thinking lands on amazon prime on the 24th of july it does yeah it's that right yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody watch it because if it's a combination of Catelyn and Koki it's a winner so thank you so much Great, for talking to us you. today and will you come back and talk about Take That further down the line <laughs> too right I'll be you'll know where to find me yeah in the shed <laughs> yes. yeah we do now in the shed <laughs> it's been so oh, nice talking to you thank you so much you. Koki and thanks for listening thank everybody you. okay bye bye bye, bye. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middalt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought. Know your worth, then add VAT. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.